When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of The Hangover. I'm Daniel. Uh, don't adjust your sets. I was here yesterday as well. I'm here back to back. Uh, alongside with me is Shannon White. Shannon, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I, I noticed last night I was looking there and, at the Q&A, and I seen my buddy Jeremy, and I said, well, there's Daniel. And he was <laughs> he was a guest uh, hosting there last night with Jeremy, and, and did a great job, so I tell you, I, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see you. Awesome, thank you, man. I appreciate that. It was a fun time. If you guys haven't checked that out after the show, mm-hmm. make sure to go go back and watch last night's episode of of the Q and A on uh, Still Current Network, and um, get a uh, you'll see a familiar face, so to speak. <laughs> and so, want to say thank you to everybody that's in the live chat, everybody that's you know watching even on the replay. If you guys haven't hit that like and subscribe button, what are you waiting for? Let's get that up. Let's get that going. Uh, but first, before we start, we had we had probably one of the biggest contracts signed over this past weekend. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny Pickett signed a contract for the rest of his life, hopefully, and God willing. Uh, he is now a uh, – he's no longer a single man, y'all. He has married his fiance over the weekend. Congratulations, Kenny. What are your thoughts on his, uh, you know, his life-changing contract, so to speak? Oh, I think it's great. Um, you know, when you have that stability, he's in such a leadership position. And we've seen that a lot of young athletes, single young athletes, famous, on the town, you know, bad things can happen. I, I like this much better that he is starting his family. Uh, and he is grounded. He seems very mature because, of course, you know, he is 24 or 25 now. So uh, I expect him to be more mature. But it's such a contrast to young Ben. So I'm very happy for him. Uh, Couldn't be happier. They seem so happy. Somebody said it was a fairy tale-like wedding, and it it appeared to be. I know they had the smoke machines out when they were dancing, and it you know, she looked like she was just a princess gliding around. So uh, he done really well for himself, and I and I'm and they make a beautiful couple. So I'm really happy for him. Uh, some of the Stillers were there. I didn't actually see Alan Robertson in any of the pictures, uh, but I did hear that he caught the bouquet when she threw it. <laughs> That's and crazy. he said he said he's not letting anything hit the ground. A lot of the bridesmaids and other women were really pissed off. <laughs> that he called it, but hey, Alan Robertson, man, he's committed. He's committed. That's what you want. That's uh, that's what you need. That type of commitment, yeah, uh, yep. not just from your quarterback, but also from your receivers. If you're gonna, you know, want to, you know, hoist the Lombardi at the end of the year, and so, 
Uh, all jokes aside, today we're talking, you know, there's a lot of time between now and the start of uh, training camp in Latrobe. So today we want to start a series kind of ranking position groups of greatest Steelers of all time. And today we're going to start off with the running backs. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about quarterbacks, which will probably be a big, big Ben versus Terry Bradshaw discussion. So you don't want to miss that next week. But today we're going to be talking about the running back position. Um you know, I know that, you know, you have watched the Pittsburgh Steelers in a different era than, you know, mm -hmm. from where I'm, I've grown up and watched them. I mean, obviously, you've also watched my era as well. Uh, but given the fact that you have seen some of the older guys play, uh, your list of, you know, greatest Steelers of all time based on who you've seen is probably quite a bit different than what mine is. And, you know, starting off with the running back position, you know, we'll start off with the biggest question that's out there is who is your favorite running back? of all time, you know, to wear the black and gold. Yeah, I've been thinking about this, this concept and this discussion topic for a while. It, it, it started out, um, people, every time we talk about greatest ever Steelers, we, we have to take error and rule changes and surrounding talent, all these different things into consideration. And it's always a hot-button topic. And people in, our, in my discussion threads on my articles are very passionate about who their favorite is and why. And so, obviously, the biggest one that or the most passionate one I've ever been involved in is when it comes down to Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger. So I first thought about just doing that, the quarterback position. And then I'm like, well... I want the, our very knowledgeable viewing audience to be involved. And I, so I said, let's build up because we got like four weeks, guys. So let's build up and have that last, that last position be Terry Bradshaw, Men Roethlisberger. And we'll start out with some other positions. See, some positions, like if you say defensive lineman, it's Major Green, it's hands down, there's no discussion. There is other positions, though, that are very worth discussion, running back being one of them. Center. Stores have had some incredible Hall of Fame centers, and it's hard to decide, you know, which one. Um, cornerback. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun here the next few weeks, good Lord willing, going over this. Um, but running back I thought was a really good one to start with. For me, my all-time favorite Pittsburgh still running back now, this is not who I'm saying is the best ever. Right. Who was my favorite to watch uh, was Jerome Bettis, the bus. I mean, mm. you know, it's it's funny. A lot of these still running backs, at that at, during the height of their – they were actually arguably more important than quarterback of that time. Mm -hmm. You know, because Bettis, Bettis only played with Ben for a short period of time. Right. Uh, but there was a, a period of time there where their number one offensive weapon was Jerome Bettis. Because he wasn't surrounded with the Hall of Famers that let's say Franco was. Right. So uh so that's why I would I would say I just loved how he played. I loved his enthusiasm. And so is my all-time favorite still running back would have to be Jerome Bettis. You see, uh, for me, Jerome Bettis was pretty high on that list. Um, number two for me now, Franco Harris is, would probably be high on my list if I mm -hmm. ever had the opportunity to watch him, but <laughs> I, I never did. Um, so for me, you know, Jerome Bettis came in number two for me, and one of the reasons why, um, he was so high on my list was you know, he was a bigger back that had quick feet and was able to do some amazing things, uh, out of that running back position at his size. And around that time was around the time that I was getting interested in football, it's around mm -hmm. my you know, the time that I was getting into middle school ball and peewee football and things like that. And I was a bigger kid, too. And I was like, man, if you know, I want to be like Jerome Bettis. I want to be a big guy, be able to take on the hits and stuff like that. I ended up on the line. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, I was apparently I was a little too big and not not so quick <laughs> on the feet, I guess. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it ended up being what it was. But he was one of my favorites. But for me, my favorite. And it's just solely based on what he did on the field. And I understand what he did. You know, when it, to exit his career to leave the Pittsburgh Steelers probably wasn't on the best terms. But to me, on the field would probably be Le'Veon Bell. You know, I thought that he brought a different aspect to his game. He was uh, 
a unicorn when it came to the running back position during the time that he was playing. A lot of, you know, you weren't seeing a lot of patience running backs, you know, running backs with patience. You weren't seeing running backs that could be, you know, a second um, receiver at that time. You had some guys like LaDainian Tomlinson who was able to catch the ball outside of the, you know, from the backfield, but he wasn't running, you know, extensive routes deep down the field either, you know, like the Le'Veon Bell. So he, to me, based on, you know, the splash factor and his versatility is what made him my, my favorite running back. Uh, I just wish things would have changed and, and obviously himself yeah. as well. You know, there's a lot of uh, interviews that he's done where he's kind of spoke about the regret of how things ended in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Um, but during his time here, I think that um, he, he, and it goes into my next question is which when it comes to your favorite running back, you know, what made, you know, what about their game made it, you know, your favorite. And for me, when it comes to Le'Veon Bell, it was just that different dynamic that, you know, other teams were forced to have to stop and address Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, if it wasn't for a couple of injury, uh, unfortunate injury type of situations, I, I very much well think that he would have been a huge component to a Steelers hoisting a Lombardi or two had he himself just stayed healthy on a couple of those seasons where down the line he went down. But, uh, yeah, I thought his patience and his ability to catch the ball was one of the reasons why I loved his game. For Jerome Bettis, what made him your favorite player or running back? Jerome was – you knew that when you needed four yards, he would get you five. He was just such a a dependable power guy. He was so nimble. when You know, in his prime – now, of course, a lot of people remember him towards the end when he won the Super Bowl with Ben, but then he was having to take injections every week just to play and – he, he wasn't nimble so much anymore. But, you know, for a man who was 250, 60 pounds, uh, he was so nimble and, and laid on his feet in the hole, and he would find a hole, and, and or he would make one. He was a combination. I believe, Anybody remembers Earl Campbell? Earl Campbell was, like, maybe the greatest power back of all time. He would just run over people, run through people. He was so powerful. And Bettis had that when he needed it in his tank. He, I've seen him run over guys. We all remember when he ran over Brian Urlacher. Mm-hmm. But he also had them nimble feet where he would set you up, make you think he's going to run you over. A guy would, you know, settle, ready, you know, brace for impact, and then he'd take off. And so he was, he had, he was a very unique combination of talent mm-hmm. to have that power and that mass and then that light on his feet. So he played with joy. I mean, so many times we watch guys now, Daniel, and they you don't see the joy in their game. Uh, I like to see passion. I like to see them get fired up, get mad. I also like to see them have fun. I love to see Drone would play with a big smile on his face. It, when you had him and Heinz Ward on the same team, you couldn't help but smile. We, we don't see enough of that anymore. Now guys get a first down and they get up and they want to pose and they want to, you know, you know, and, and all this, and hey, there's a place for that. But I like to see that joy, uh, and Bettis exuded joy, and and that's where the, a lot of his nickname came from, the bus, and everybody loved it. Whether you was a little kid or you was uh, an older grown up in the stands, you loved the wheels on the bus go round and round, and and it was just a great nickname. So uh, I just have a lot of fond memories of Bettis. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I do too. I thought, you know, one of my favorite memories when it comes to Jerome Bettis, and I think this is a lot of people's, is, you know, the, when he knocked down Erlanker yeah. in that, you know, that Super Bowl, you know, to start that Super Bowl run. But that was so late in his career. Um, he had so many other things. One of my other favorite moments or games from him is the revenge game against the, uh, the Rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first one that he had, he just ran all over him, you know. So he, he was, he was definitely, like I said, my number two when it came to my all time favorite running backs. And so Jerome Bettis primarily played, you know, late 90s, mid 90s to late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, Le'Veon Bell played 2010s up until probably, I mean, he could still play now. So I guess you can say uh, current is he's probably more considered a current running back. Uh, do you think that these running backs could switch and play in each other's era? Meaning, do you think that perhaps if uh, Jerome Bettis in his prime, you know, suited up for like a Kyle Shanahan offense, would he fit in? What are your thoughts on on, on that aspect? 
running back is one of the positions. Some positions, era makes a bigger difference. But running back, if if you're a naturally instinctive runner, you can play in most eras uh, as long as you're tough enough. The rules have changed, but not so much for running backs. So a guy like Bettis, if he would have been in the, say, the 70s during the still curtain, he would have just been another power back because that's what, you know, most teams had back in the 70s. And he would have been in there just, you know, the hard-nosed, football uh if you played bettis now you say well bettis you know he wasn't a great receiver and a lot of running backs now see bell was the modern uh profile or prototype in that he could do it all he could run he could block and he could catch you know almost like a, a slot receiver uh which is part of what happened when he wanted more money but anyway bell was that modern uh prototype but Bettis it would be like a, a Derrick Henry or one of those guys right now in that he in even the defenses are set up now to stop the pass. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be you stopped the run first. That was always your first. Any team that could run the ball and you would crush you. So all defenses were set up to stop the run. And then you worried about the pass. Now it's kind of the opposite. So he, a guy like Bettis, even though he wasn't a, a great receiver, he would be able to still be a very dominant player because he would just run over these smaller defenses. Uh, a lot of these guys are smaller now than they were in the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, you know, they're, you, they're just smaller uh, linebackers made for coverage more than run defense. So uh, I think both guys, Bell was so shifty, so patient. Uh, and so well-rounded, he could have played in the early area as well. Um, you had more cheap shots, though. Like the shots that Burfitt did to Bell, to, you know, to hurt him. And right. as you said, cost the Steelers maybe some playoff runs with Bell. That stuff was way more common back in the days of the Oakland Raiders and the Cowboys uh, of the 70s and, and early 80s. True, but the seasons were shorter. So um, less hits in that aspect. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I've seen some of these highlights from back in the day. And even in the early 90s, jacked up and things like that were promoted. You know, it was. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, the highlight <laughs> reels, yes. Exactly, exactly. It wasn't like it is today where, you know, uh, concussions and, and awareness of those type of things medically are, are more prevalent. And so, um, yeah, definitely 100%. And I think Bell you know, to answer the same question, uh, would definitely be able to fit in almost every era. I think you're absolutely right in that aspect. Mm-hmm. But Bell, especially because of his size, you know, he was what, what, six foot one, six two, somewhere around there, 240 mm-hmm. at one point in his career. So he was a bigger back and he could yeah. end up taking those type of hits. And, um, you know, and he found a way of not being, you know, not taking some of those bigger hits unless it was later down in the in the season. And it was against, as you mentioned, Perfect and the Bengals. And so I can see... Years. Yeah, 100%. I can see Bell being able to um, play in multiple eras. When it comes to Jerome, you know, I think that the passing aspect of today's game is is highly important, especially when it comes to the running back position. And not saying that Jerome couldn't do it. I just don't see him being utilized in today's era of football um, or having as much success in today's football, just mainly on the opportunities. As well, you know, back when he played, he was a uh, more of a cowbell type of um, running game, which the Steelers aren't afraid of doing now. You know, Najee Harris in his rookie season was that cowbell running back. Le'Veon Bell was that cowbell running back. So it's not like, you know, Jerome Bettis wouldn't fit into any offense. I'm fairly positive he would fit into, you know, today's Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, across the board, NFL current offenses have, um, you know, the running back utilized as a receiver. And I think that would probably be the biggest question mark for me when it comes to Jerome Bettis being able to play today in today's era. Um, I don't, you don't see very many backs his size. I mean, the Derrick Henry, the, um, you know, Najee Harris, they're probably the most um, closely sized backs that you can think of. But even those guys are, you know, more, uh, you know, well, there's a difference between when you look at Najee, he looks like a like a Superman, 
and Jerome Bettis was, was a little bit on the heavier side. And so well, the things we got to remember is one of the reasons why Bettis is, is in the Hall of Fame is because there's nobody like Bettis. That's true. That's what I'm the modern defenses were not be ready to handle him. As I mentioned, his power in those nimble feet. And like I said, if he gets past your defensive line, your guys nowadays are going to have trouble bringing him down. 100%. So there's nobody you can really compare him to now. Uh, Cause there's really hardly been anybody ever in history that had his physical makeup and ability. So uh, that's why I think he would still be effective. He wouldn't have to be a receiver like Henry isn't. Harris really is is a much better receiver than Bettis. But both neither one of them guys are as light on their feet or have that power package that Bettis had. That's true. There was uh, one one incident where Jerome Bettis outran, was it Lynch? He just took off from him. Yeah, and in so, Tampa, yeah. Yeah, in Tampa. And, you know, he was surprisingly quick for his size. And you're absolutely right. He was a unicorn. And that's one of the reasons why he is a Hall of Fame running back. Um, do you think that if, you know, Bell didn't leave in the manner that he did, that he would have been considered uh, if he would have stayed a little bit longer and perhaps maybe his career continued in the same trajectory that it was going on? Do you think he would have been possibly considered to be a gold jacket type of guy? I, I think that that was his shot. He, he had, uh, at that point, 500, no, 5,000 and some yards rushing alone. Mm-hmm. And then he would have went, total yards, he would have been up there uh, with a LaDainian and Thomason, somebody of that nature, who was a dual threat running back. Because uh, Bell was the best running back at one point in the NFL. And right. he was in a in the Killer B situation. They, with being an AB, nobody could really stack to stop him. Uh, if they did, they were really risking getting torched with the passing game. So he just over – and I think a lot of the running backs are doing that right now because we're seeing there's some, you know, talk about, well, we're not getting paid enough and and all that stuff. And I'm afraid that we're going to see more of that and maybe even Harris in a year or two. Yeah. But um, he, if he would have stayed, he was in the perfect system. They would have continued to use him. Now, they would have drove him in the ground. But if he could have got four more years in at the production that he was having and all pro seasons like he was having, then he would have been in consideration for Hall of Fame, you know, consideration. Right. But when he left, he go, went to, for more money, went to not really more money, as we know, but yeah. he went to a very bad team, and then he, that was the end of it. So – yeah, you know, he, he did that to himself. Uh, didn't listen to Mama. We we know we should always listen to Mama. <laughs> and uh, and I think he did cost himself a shot at being a Hall of Famer. I do, too. I do, too. And I think that when you look at Bell and you look at Bettis, the way they exited the Pittsburgh Steelers, completely different opposite uh, ends of the spectrum. Whereas Bell, like you mentioned, wanted the money. And, Be- and Bettis, you know, stuck around and... Um, was able to retire a uh, Super Bowl winning champion, you know, especially that exclamation point to his career, so to speak. And I do agree with you. I think that if Bell would have stayed and continued the trajectory that he was going in, um, you know, and already had the support of the city and the fans, I I think that he would have been a a very much well in consideration for the – for a gold jacket at the end of his, you know, five years after the end of his career. Um, one last question before we go into the break, but, you know, how did, to you, how did Jerome Bettis compare to the other running backs of his era? Do you think he was ever the top guy in that list or, or where did he fall in line for you? I don't know if I would say he was the top ever, uh, the top guy on the list. Uh, just from the fact that there was other uh really good running backs during that time who were more well-rounded as far as receivers. Uh, A lot of times it's fit. Jerry Rice was the perfect West coast style uh, wide receiver. Pairing him with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana and then Steve Young. And uh, it was the perfect pairing because, you know, he could catch slants and he could catch stuff like that. And then he could, 
you know, because he was such a physical receiver. Bettis was a perfect match for Pittsburgh. He was the offense, the culture, the town, everything. So, but now, again, when you know, we started out, we're talking about who is the best running back. Right. Um, and to me, the best Steelers running back of all time has got to be Franco Harris. Gotcha. The reason why is he played the most games, most carries, most yards, most touchdowns, four Super Bowls, and he was the offensive focal point on those Super Bowl teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, MVP of the Super Bowl. He he had his best games. Now, this is something that's hard for people to imagine now. But Franco Harris had his best games in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that rose to the occasion. You know, it was so sad when he died last year and before he, they was able to honor him uh, on that against the Raiders that night. Because I think a lot of those people didn't realize he was a great human being, a humanitarian. Uh, But Franco, just like our defense, me and Joe Green come in and he reset and the standards and he was the foundation for that defense and that Steelers dynasty. Franco Harris was that answer on offense. It wasn't Terry Bradshaw. Bradshaw was very bad for many years. And, right. and he was always in a quarterback controversy with somebody. And then he finally, even in 74, he didn't have a great year, but then won the Super Bowl because of the defense of Franco Harris. Franco Harris gave the Stewarts an identity. Mm-hmm. He, he, he represented something in the city of Pittsburgh. Franco's army, he united different cultures in the city. Franco was more than just a ball player. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of, Whereas me, Joe did not like to talk to the media a lot. And he was not the face of the franchise. He was the best player. He was the foundation, but he wasn't the vocal voice of the franchise. And it definitely wasn't Bradshaw or anybody else. It was Franco Harris. Right. If something needed to be said to the media, Franco Harris said it. If something, if somebody needed to stand up on offense, uh, and, and, you know, and say, Hey, put it on my back. I'm going to carry this team to this playoff win, this Super Bowl win, it was Franco Harris. That, that first Super Bowl against the Minnesota Vikings, Minnesota was a heck of a defense. And nobody done that to them that year like Franco ran over them in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Now, we know it's offensive line. It's everything. The Steelers, you know, it was a great performance. But they rode him. He was he was their uh, champion. And then they rode him to the title. So, um, and Franco was just, he meant so much to all that still curtain dynasty and it allowed Bradshaw to grow into what he become. And it allowed Swan and Stallworth. And, um, I just think that, that it's easy to forget how great Franco Harris actually was, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, greatness gets taken for granted over time, you know, right. memories run dim. And uh, I would challenge people if they really want to know, just go back and watch some of it and see a man who the way he ran the ball was very unique. He was legit six, three. Uh, he ran pretty upright uh, and he just floated. It, it, it's, it's hard to compare him. It, just like Jerome Franco right. floated around the field. He was, he was a different type of runner than anybody in the game since him. And right. Um, I just think that by, for all those reasons, and one of the greatest winners at the position of all time, uh, and the focal point of the Steeler offense, I would say that Franco Harris is the greatest Steelers running back, without question. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, there's a reason why his number is the only what, the third number to get retired in in Steelers franchise history. Uh, do you think you know Franco Harris could play in today's NFL? Yeah, Franco was actually um, a very good receiver. He had a really good soft set of hands. Now, I understand, back in the 70s, you didn't throw to your receivers, but I mean, to your <laughs> running backs very much. Right. Um, it, it was funny. The offense a lot back in that era was uh, Franco Harris right, Franco Harris left, Franco Harris up the middle. And then, you know, hey, we're going to throw him a, a, a change up here. 
play action. You know, Swan, you go deep. Stallworth, you go deep. And you <laughs> you run whoever the Grossman, Benny Cunningham, whoever the tight end. You you run around in the middle of the field, and I might throw it to you if one of the other guys ain't open. It was a different era. Yes, Terry Bradshaw called his own plays, but they was the playbook was so much more simplified. There wasn't 12 different defenses and packages like we have now, sub packages and, and big nickels, little nickel, you know, heavy. Uh, you know, it, it's just back then teams went, had started the game in their base defense and they mm-hmm. ended the game in their base defense. They, they just, it was totally different. Right. And so, but could Franco play now? Yeah. I would have loved to see Franco play in this era. Again, he was a large running back. Yeah. Right. We was talking about Bill earlier. Uh, Franco was a large man. Yeah. And, and he, in the way he ran and, and, you know, if you've seen him in them Super Bowls, man, when he wanted to get that or needed that yard, he put his head down and run over anybody. That was just who he was. And uh, but with them soft hands and, and setting him up with screens and stuff, yeah, I think he would again. I think he'd be very effective, um, and he probably be in a lot better shape because of the modern uh, right. dietary training regimens, chiropractic. They've just got all these advantages now, and that's why we're seeing what we see in these bigger, stronger, faster athletes. One hundred percent. And if anybody ever wants to question Franco's ability to catch, he has probably the greatest reception in NFL history. So take that to the <laughs> exactly. bank. <laughs> exactly. yes. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to take a few words of our sponsors on the audio side on the YouTube side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a few seconds. Welcome back to The Hangover. Today we're talking about the running back position. I'm Daniel J. Alongside with me is Shannon White. Uh, Shannon, before we get back into the discussion, um, do you have anything coming up? You know, any articles brewing? Uh, perhaps I think you're coming out on the curtain call tomorrow. Is that correct? Or on Wednesday? I'm sorry, not tomorrow. Yes, the curtain call. Now we're we're still discussing, uh, you know, what we're going to be uh, topic of discussion for uh, the curtain call. But um, no, I've I've thought about. I was going to write this as an article. And then, but it really hit me this morning and I didn't really have time because uh, I'm going to try to write a introductory article before the show each week, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about the next week's topic. So, uh, no, I've not started another article at the moment. Got you. Got you. Well, stay tuned, y'all. Make sure you still check out behind the steel curtain dot com for those articles. They, they're still available there. Uh, and also make sure you check out all the other audio podcasts on the audio side and, and on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe, ring that notification bell. That way you're notified of all of our daily lives that we go out. Uh, so back to the running back uh, conversation. Uh, when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I, and I think this is a uh, this is a good question or good discussion to get into, who is, in your opinion, the most underrated running back uh, to wear the black and gold? When I think underrated running backs in Pittsburgh, the name of that immediately comes to mind is Frank Pollard. Because mm-hmm. Frank Pollard played in a, a down era for the Steelers. Uh, you know, we remember the Steel Curtain. We remember the 90s in Blitzburg. But the 80s was just, there was some quality players in the 80s. And, and I think Jeff wrote an article about guys that were really good players that people don't think about because they didn't win championships. Well, Frank Pollard was just a solid, dependable running back. He he didn't miss games. He he was durable. Uh, he he always gets you about four point four four point five yards a carry. Um, you could catch a little bit again. Even in the eighties, they didn't throw to the running back a lot. But, yeah, to me, the name that immediately comes to mind is underrated is Frank Pollard. Nice, nice. So, for me, and, and Frank, I, I'm not familiar. Uh, when was he playing again? Frank Pollard was in the 80s. Oh, yeah, so that was before my time. Yeah. <laughs> well before my time. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't recall who he is, but I'm sure he was a fantastic player, as you mentioned, underrated. Uh, basically because of the team that he played around. You know, for me, the most underrated running back, you know, you hear a lot of um, 
you know, positive things about, you know, Le'Veon Bell, Franco Harris, Jerome Bettis, you know, all these names, but, you know, nobody really applies that to like fast Willie Parker. I think he is one of the most underrated running backs. He had a huge role and a huge reason as to why the Pittsburgh Steelers were uh, making those Super Bowl runs. In fact, you know, in that Super Bowl in, in 05, he had the, uh, I think it's still current, but still at the time, is, he, yeah. yeah, he broke the record for the longest, you know, touchdown run by a running back. And I think that he is probably one of the most underrated running backs that are out there. He had um, three consecutive years during that time, rushing over a thousand yards, uh, you know, speed. He had the home run ability. Oh yeah. Uh, he just didn't have the, you know, he was an undrafted rookie. He didn't have the, you know, the, the pedigree. He didn't have the draft aspect to his name. He wasn't a first, second, third round pick, things like that. So he wasn't, I guess the sexy player, so to speak, but man, did he get things done? And was he exciting to watch? In my opinion, I remember his first game, I think it was against uh, Tennessee. I could be wrong. And he broke a long one there. And uh, I remember, um, there was uh, an interview with Coach Cower at, at a certain point where he had to continue to remind Willie Parker to breathe during his runs because because <laughs> he wouldn't breathe. He would just start running, mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, Coach, you had to tell me to breathe. He's to me, is one of my favorite underrated running backs. Uh, what, what did you think about Willie Parker and his game when he played? Well, Willie Parker was one of the best values in Stellar history. We, we look at Jalen Warren, undrafted free agent. And in just when you find those guys, it just gives you so much freedom when you're constructing a roster. Because you you basically got this guy, you know, the free agent part. You know, they were undrafted. You didn't have to give up any draft capital. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it was with Willie Parker. And Willie come in, and it was just the perfect complement to Jerome Bettis. You had the power, and then you had the speed with Willie. And it really, when Bettis would play uh, more snaps, it made Willie even more effective because, you know, you're going from trying to tackle Jerome Bettis to trying to tackle fast Willie, and Willie just outrun you. he get around that corner so easy on teams. And yeah. and I really love to watch him. If he would have just been able to be a little more durable, he would be higher up on the list. That brings me to another guy. Uh, that I was going to mention as the biggest, basically one-hit wonder ever for the Steelers was Barry Foster. <laughs> uh, he had a very short window there, but my goodness, ninety-two to ninety-four, he was a, just a ble- he was a blessing. He was so much fun to watch. Barry Foster always said it was like a bowling ball with legs. He he just he just rolled wherever, and it was so he was such a low center of gravity. And he got built up so much speed that he just run through arm tackles. And I I wish that it, things would have worked out different with him as well, just like with Fast Willie. Because mm-hmm. Barry Foster was a tremendous player. And that one year, he was the offense for the Steelers. And uh, so I, I, I definitely wanted to mention him because of uh, his legacy. I think his best season was – 1,690 yards or something like that off mm. the top of my head. I mean, that's, you know, this that's was back good. during the 16-game season, not, you know, <laughs> 17. We always got to keep that in mind. Franco did a lot of his damage 14-game uh, season. So, <laughs> Yeah, 100%. In fact, I mean, I was a huge Barry Foster fan when he was out. In fact, my dad has home videos of me pretending to be Barry Foster. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I have like a jersey. I got there it jersey. is. Yeah. Uh, was it 29? Was that correct? 29. Yeah. 29. Yeah. That's some memories there. Uh, Barry Foster. So, in uh, going through all the Steelers running backs, who, who's been your favorite backup running back or second punch? You know, your Jalen Warren, so to speak. Um, oh, man. You, you put me on the spot because I love Rocky Blair. <laughs> I love everything about Rocky Blair because that is one of the first times the NFL universe got to see who the Roonies really are. Right. And we all know Rocky Blyer's story, so I'm not going to really go, go over it again. But if you ain't never seen the movie, at least, watch the movie. But Rocky Blyer is just an inspirational story of a true warrior 
and a man who brought something to the Steelers that people don't realize how important it was on those Steel Curtain teams. And to a man, everybody respects Rocky Black. Right. Um, but when you said who was my favorite backup, the name that you, it comes to everybody is D'Angelo Williams. D'Angelo Williams, shoot, the dude went into wrestling for a while. <laughs> I mean, he was well-rounded. He was, he's so talented in acting. He could do wrestling. He was a, he was a great running back. And he, and it was funny. He was always part of the platoon. He was the platoon in Charlotte with the Panthers. And then he comes to Pittsburgh and he's part of a little platoon. But if he had to start, he just gets you hundred yards every game. He was just so talented and is so reliable. And to the point that I think we all took him for granted a little bit because, you know, Hey, starters up, up there's Williams. We're okay. You know, yeah. that's, that's so valuable and it's so hard to find, but I, I, I think that he don't get the respect uh, that he deserves because he had some tremendous games for the Steelers. Oh, 100%. And he, he played a lot of games. And it's crazy because he only played two seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He yeah. is also my um, favorite, you know, backup running back. He is, you know, the Charlie Batch of the running back room, in my opinion. Um, you know, that backup that yes. is good quality, that is dependable, yeah. and that's going to get you out of games. And, you know, he started 16 games or 10 games, I'm sorry. He started 10 games in 2015 and four games in 2016, but played in the majority of them. He was a good, um, you know, alleviator of some of the pressure for Le'Veon Bell. But when Bell went down and D'Angelo Williams had to come in, it was, you know, some of these linemen who have inter been interviewed and talked about it, some have kind of indicated that it was a little bit easier to block for D'Angelo Williams because yes. he was a uh, straight-to-the-point kind of guy, get to the hole and go. And when it came to Le'Veon, sometimes his patience um, yeah. made the, the offensive line had to work a little bit harder, so to speak. They had to hold their blocks quite a bit longer, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, Ramon, Ramon Foster is one guy that he's, you know, been very vocal about that. You know, he loves Le'Veon Bell, but he's talked mm -hmm. about how that change to D'Angelo Williams was was refreshing and, and the offense had to move in a different way. Uh, but, yeah, D'Angelo Williams is one of my favorite ones. Uh, another one just kind of, you know, off the top of my head probably would be, you know, I always like the change of pace kind of guys, your Amos Zeroway, your uh, Eric Pegrams of the world, you know, those guys that were put in a pinch, so to speak, or a third down and were able to do something. You know, those weren't guys that you would want to depend on throughout the course of the entire game. Mm -hmm. But, you know, third down in certain situations I thought were uh, were awesome. Now, to kind of move into the opposite direction, mm -hmm. uh, out of all of the Steeler running backs that have, you know, that you have seen in play, who is the uh, running back that you were probably the most disappointed with? No, that's easy. I don't even want to say his name, but <laughs> Rashawn Mendenhall. <laughs> I feel um, you were going there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, when Ben was suspended, and I remember, I like, what is the Steelers going to do? You know, they, they were going to try to lean on the running game. And Mendenhall, they was able to lean on him, and he really done well and helped them through that stretch, the uh, four-game suspension, if I remember right. And um, I did not – realized until after the fumble and mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that. And some of the responses and now the responses we've heard since then that uh, he's a little bit of a space cadet. <laughs> uh, you know, I always say read the room. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that, that he does a good job of reading the room. Um, I think he had a lot of talent. Uh he wasn't always the brightest guy. I tried to challenge Ray Lewis first time he ever fought him, uh, played him, challenged him before the game, and then tried to run him over. And that was not a, a Brookie's scapula and missed the wrist. I mean, uh, that shows he lacks some intelligence. But, yeah, easily he was my biggest disappointment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see it, you know, off the field stuff especially. Um, and, and some of the comments that he's made and some of the things that he's done, whether it was related to Ben or the team or, or other things, you know, with Richard Mendenhall, he was a, uh, if 
I, correct me if I'm wrong, but a first round running back who is expected to have done some great things, be that next guy. And, and even on the field, he had shown some progress, but to me, he was never, you know, he, he was never that franchise style running back. And I think a lot had to do with, for me, it was the style of running that he did. I just did not like the way he held the ball. It looked like he was holding a, a loaf of bread out there. It was a fumble waiting to happen and unfortunately ended up costing the Pittsburgh Steelers number seven. Uh, but for me, my most disappointed running back uh, is Bam Morris from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a guy that was drafted. He mm. was supposed to be bus. He was supposed to be that bigger guy, mm. you know, uh, the bruiser. And, you know, he gets he, he's a big pivotal role for the Pittsburgh Steelers in getting to Super Bowl 30. And shortly after, off the field issues start happening. Boom, yeah. boom, yeah. boom. And he can never be back on the field for the Steelers. And um, it's just, you know, he was somebody that I thought that the Steelers were able to move away from Barry Foster, that they found a guy. He was a bigger dude. And to me, you know, he's a Texas boy. I'm from Texas. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, highly disappointed in what ended up happening there with Bam Morris. Um, you know, that to me was probably the most disappointed um, um, running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, in my opinion. Uh, hey, Daniel, one thing I've seen, one guy that I really, really like getting getting some love here and people remembering him is Chris Fuamatu Malafala. Yeah. And I was always so proud that I could say his name and mine were Cope Cutter. You know, there's a lot of guys that really struggled to say his name. <laughs> and, but he was such a fun player because he was such a powerful player. He was kind of like the Steelers version of Arn Head Hayward. And, you know, you get that ball right to goal, I mean, just give it to Chris. Yeah. Big Foo, he get it in there, you know. And and I love to listen to guys, even the national announcers, butcher his name. And you thought I would just say Foo. You know, it's Chris Foo, you know, but yeah, but yeah, well, you gotta love Chris. Um uh now I can't say it. <laughs> I just said it. Well, my favorite way of somebody saying it was always Chris Berman when he used to say he's one bad mafala. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> I always loved it when they said that, and, and I'll always remember his game in the playoffs against the Browns. It was some good memories there, and, and that you know, um come from behind when that was unexpected against Holcomb and, and the Brownies. It was, it was a good game. He's, he's, he will also be one of my favorites. Say Chris Fuamato Malafala. You got to some, a lot of people's mentioned him. I love that. Yeah. I wish yeah. he was watching and he could just soak in all this love. <laughs> he might be, you never know if you are, it is up I'd to have you on the show. Um, and so, you know, just a couple of more questions about the running back position, and then we'll call it a show. The first one is, how do you think that this position has changed over time? Uh, I know value is a big, big thing. However, in this most recent draft, uh, B. John Robinson, another running back, was drafted in the top round early on. Do you see that shift starting to come back to the running back being an important piece? Uh, there's that aspect. There's also the fact that in free agency, it doesn't really seem like the money is there. So what are your thoughts on the current temperature of the running back position in the NFL and, and where do you see it going? Yeah, I think with the modern rule changes to, to protect the quarterback, mm -hmm. the amount of money invested in the quarterback and invested in the offensive line, especially like your left tackle position, uh, teams are vested to protect the quarterback, to throw the football, and you can just score more points quicker through the air. And so we we realized that running back position is one of the most instinctual positions in the NFL. You could get guys undrafted like Jalen Warren and bring them in and – they can find a hole. They've got vision. They've got the athletic ability. They can find a hole and they can run through it. Uh, that Because of that, and so many running backs are not first-round picks. Now, this year, as you said, there was Bajon, uh, Bajon Robertson and uh, Jalen Gibbs went to the Lions, if I remember. So Correct. a couple guys are in the first round. Uh, that's not normal anymore. Uh, so you have to really be – 
somebody that they think is going to be a, a Pro Bowl level player to even be considered for a first round running back. And also the need has to be there. And um, there's really, you can find running backs all over every round and even in free agency or undrafted free agents. So I don't see the value going up. They also have a shorter shelf life. A running back at 30 is considered, you know, on the back end, you know, maybe no longer in his prime. So you want to get a running back 21, 22 years old and getting maybe that second contract while he's still in his prime. You don't see usually another contract after that. It's a, it's not it's different than a lot of the other positions because it's such an instinctual and physically demanding. You know they take a lot of abuse. They get worn down. Um, we've seen so many of the top running backs. Man, they just hit a wall, and you never know when that's going to happen. Uh, you know, in Bell's case, he did it to himself by. You know, he left where he was best suited. Mm-hmm. But you have guys like Todd Gurley, an injury, you know, because of all the wear and tear. Um, there's been other guys that have went through um, Ezekiel Elliott. Right. Elliott was just going along. like You know, he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And then towards the end of last season, you've seen him start to lose a step, wasn't as effective, and Tony Pollard passed him up. So – uh, it's it's hard. These guys have shorter windows. So they're trying to figure out some way that these guys get paid different on a different pay scale than, say, other positions. Because other positions can stay effective longer. And, and running backs have that shorter shelf life. So it, it's, it's a bad combination. And I think it's actually going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you in that aspect. I think that... You know, I think we might see more drafting of running backs, given the fact that you have that control of the fifth-year option. Um, you don't have to pay a bag to a running back um, at, a, at an earlier point at that point. So the risk-reward there is a little bit – it's a bit lower on the risk aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But I do see your point as far as, you know, getting that second contract and, and things like that. I think that – there's going to be a, a coming to reality, so to speak, for a lot of these running backs when it comes time for their second contract. And, you know, I, I honestly thought that we would be seeing something similar with the receiver position just because of the fact that so many good rookies are coming out. I always mm-hmm. found it odd that, if you know, if there's somebody that's asking for a lot of money, just go and draft yourself a new one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I saw I thought that that room would be heading more in a direction of a downward turn as well, but it hasn't. It's still kind of heading upward. Running back is confusing, but like you mentioned, it's just the durability aspect, the fact that, you know, you have younger players that are faster and stronger coming up. Uh, It might actually, like you mentioned, get more, you know, get worse before it gets better. But I think that that transition might start given the fact that it seems like more teams are turning back to the run, given the fact that defenses approach to the offensive game that, you know, modern Mm -hmm. offenses is utilizing smaller you know, defensive backs, linebackers that are more shifty and capable of pass defense versus run defense. And I think we're seeing more of a, a move back to the run because of that. As you, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, with the defenses becoming more focused on stopping the passing game, we're seeing teams like the Eagles and the 49ers, the Chiefs a lot last year. Chiefs did not have an explosive offense. They did not have an explosive wide receiver core. What they had was the best quarterback, the most unstoppable combination with Mahomes and Kelsey, and they had a good stable running back, especially the young kid, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, or whatever his name was, the seventh-round running back. And they that's the kind of offense they played. They were very creative, play-action, different stuff. But it wasn't the offense they'd won the Super Bowl three years earlier with. Right. You know, no Tariq Hill, no explosive plays hardly. So we're seeing a change. And what are, what are the Steelers doing? The Steelers are building a run-heavy package, uh, play action, create mismatches, not just with the receivers, but with the tight ends, with the H-back, with the running backs. 
the teams are going to start trying to exploit these these pass defenses are getting so good and so sophisticated that now teams are you know it's a it's an evolution. Right. NFL offensive coordinators are always evolving and saying, okay, you're gonna we're gonna counter with this. And as you said, that's what we're seeing. And and so that can bode well for the running backs. But the one thing that won't change is their shelf life. Right. Uh, you know, I just I think the position is such that it, it's going to a lot of these great running backs we're talking about, you know, they didn't play uh over 10 years, like we see so many other positions do. Right. Because they just towards the end, Bettis was a hobbling, and like I said, uh, having to get injections just to play each week. So um, you know, we're gonna have to keep that in mind, and everybody's gonna have to do what's best for all parties involved. 100 percent 100 percent It's gonna be a like you said, it's gonna be a bumpy road for the running backs, especially for those that are expecting you know second contracts. Maybe perhaps these running backs will do something with the players' association to get them uh, maybe a little bit more financial security in their rookie contract, so that way, you know, they get the bulk of their money during the time that they would be making it or be worthy of making it, so to speak. That's now, when it's got to start. It's got to start for running backs on the rookie deal. One hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. whether it's incentive based, whatever. I always believe that the players who are the best players should make the most money. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and just let's say most valuable to their teams. And and a lot of these young running backs are very valuable, but they're they're doing it. They're they're not they're making pennies on the dollar compared to the other positions. And right. by the time they get to where they're established, they have a you know short shelf life. So yeah, I agree. It has to start at the beginning. So my last question for you. This is one I haven't asked you yet, so I know you're not prepared for it. Yeah. Now you've mentioned two running backs tonight. You mentioned your favorite running back being Jerome Bettis and the best running back being Franco Harris. Would you replace Najee Harris today with one of those two backs in their prime? In their prime? In their prime. I would replace him with either one of them. Either one of them. So he would yeah. be number three amongst those backs for you. Yeah. I mean, again, this is – I like Najee Harris. It's not a knock against Najee Harris. But you're talking about two Hall of Fame running backs who were very unique and special. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that they were both better players than Najee will end up being. I, I'm, I'm happy with Najee Harris. I, I like the guy, the kid, a lot. And I think we're going to see the real Najee Harris now that the offensive line is in the top half of the league where they've really increased the talent there and they're going to use him more efficiently, I believe, give Warren, you know, a lot of these carries and not wear him down to keep Najee fresh, especially for the end of the games when they want to close out games. So I expect him to be more efficient and more effective. But no, I would I wouldn't replace him with Harris or uh, Bettis in their prime. Definitely, yes. I would agree with you on that. I would also take a Le'Veon Bell over a Najee Harris today. Now, I think that Najee Harris, you know, when it comes to the potential, is there. But that's all that it is right now. We haven't been able to see a a, uh, a healthy Najee Harris behind a uh, decent offensive line. Yes, yes. You know, last season towards the end of the year, I think we started to get somewhat of a mm-hmm. glimpse of that. He became more healthier. As the year progressed, the offensive line built up their chemistry, and we got to see a little bit of a glimpse of that. But at the same token, it, it wasn't the same to what these Hall of Fame running backs were at. At this point, you know, does Najee Harris have the opportunity or the ability to do, you know, to change that? I think so. He's has a uh, durability. Uh, he's very durable. And so that, you know, aspect of his game is going to uh, give him more opportunity to grow and be a better player. And so, I would agree with you on that aspect. I think I would also, including the player that I had mentioned being Le'Veon Bell, just because Le'Veon Bell was proven as well. You know, we knew what he was able mm-hmm. to do. Granted, he had an offensive line that uh, I think would make Najee Harris very um, yes. envious up to this year. I think this year yes. could be different. But <laughs> but no, Bell, Bell was definitely a better player, the superior yeah. player in his prime to Harris. But I'm not – I don't want to put a limitation on what Harris can do. 
exactly. now that he has a better offensive line. 100% couldn't have said that better myself. So with that being said, do you have any final words or anything before we call it a show? No, uh, just, uh, you know, tune in next week. And we're going to do another position. And like I said, we're going to finish up with quarterback and, and the whole TB and big Ben. So, but I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about this. It's, it's the dead point of the off season, but this is something I'm excited about. 100%. Stay tuned. We'll be talking about another position next week. With that being said, we'll see y'all then. Peace out. Oh, wait, Chan, take us out. You got it, <laughs> bro. Woo!